she's smiling. Okay, good. <laughs> we are recording. My name is Angela Sadler Williamson, and welcome to She Talk Cinema. It is sponsored by the Hollywood Women's Institute and the Hollywood Women's Film Festival. Our mission is to celebrate women changing the face of Hollywood in TV, film, and music. Today, I am talking to one of my besties in the Writers Guild of America West, Sharon Lennon. And so let's talk, she's waving right now. <laughs> she also has a friend that we might see during the podcast and that is okay too. But we want to spend time today talking to Sharon because she's done so many wonderful things in this industry. And I personally wanted to highlight it so Sharon, thank you so much for joining me and I haven't seen you in so long. So this is such a pleasure. Hi, it's nice to see your face. I know. It's always know. nice to see your face. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, one day we'll get together again in person. I know. Oh, we got to wait a little while. I know, I know. But when I, I met you, oh my goodness, it was at a it was at a uh, an event for the women's writers. I met you. Yeah, it was a screening. Weren't you and Angela online? Yes. Right? Yes. As yes. we say in New York, online, not in yes, line. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we we were there. And I don't know, you just you came up and we just started talking and just connected from there. But over the years I've heard so many interesting things that you've done. And but I don't think I've ever asked you this question. How did you start in entertainment? Well, how do I start in entertainment? I would I would say entertainment for me encompasses TV, film, and theater, right? Yes. So, but then prior to that, um, my first paid writing gigs were all in nonprofit organizations. So it was like doing speech writing, public education campaigns. My very first writing gig that was paid was on Take Our Daughters to Work Day, actually. Yeah, and I wrote speeches and um, you know for presentations and a and a educational component that went out to girls all across the country um, it's it's when they were still calling take our daughters to work day take our daughters and not take our sons and daughters to work day mm -hmm. which I think it's called now I don't know anyway yeah um, and then I went on to like do work for girls incorporated and for YWCA the week without violence and um, so I did, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and book reviews and essays. I did a lot of book reviews. Um, and I wrote a bunch of articles on, I wrote an article on Ida Lupino and, um, her work as an auteur director in the fifties. And, uh, but then my first, I mean, I worked in theater a lot in New York city and shot short things, short documentaries, short films. And then my big first paid paid gig was weirdly working for one life to live which is an abc daytime show which is no longer on the air it's it, um um i i got in as it was going out <laughs> oh. but it was very good when i was working on that show it's like it was a good show um yeah. and um and i weirdly got that gig because i met someone who used to be the showrunner of that show way back in like the 90s and um 
and she, I said to her, hey, how, do, how does one get a job like this? And I took her out to lunch. I had no money. I was so broke at the time. And I, I paid for lunch. I don't even know how I paid, but I was like, I have to take this woman out and I have to pay because that's what you should do. So I took her out to lunch. And um, she said, well, let me read your script. So I gave her, I come from an independent character-driven film background. Like that's my first soul love is that. Um, so I was writing independent character-driven script screenplays at that point. So I gave her two of my screenplays and uh, they immediately gave me an opportunity to sort of audition for the show. Um, and uh, it's a lot of work just to get on a show like that, a lot. I mean, you have to study a show that's been on the air for 40, <laughs> for 40 yeah. years, <laughs> you know, um, thank God for YouTube because uh, I don't know how people did it before, before that, honestly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I auditioned for the show, studied, studied, studied. Then they sent me a bunch of breakdowns and said, which breakdown do you want to write from? Um, I chose the episode that I wanted to write, uh, wrote it. I think it was one of the best scripts I've ever wrote for the show. And I wrote probably about 60, 70 hours worth of show of TV wow. when I was working for that show. Uh, but it was it was rejected. They rejected it. They said we think the script is really well written. We think it's a great script, but you missed the mark <laughs> in terms of the voice of the lead patri uh, matriarch of the show, which is oh yeah. I, I think I took a little bit of a liberty and tried to like play with it a little bit. Don't do that on a don't do that. Don't do Never that. do that on a show like that. And I said. They never give anyone a second chance on these things. You either, they say, yes, you're in, or they say no. But I convinced the person to give me another shot. I said, I took everything that you said. These are, I took these things as notes. Please give me one more shot. I'll nail it, I promise. And they did, and I nailed it, and I got the, and I got the job. And I got the opportunity to, I think, as, as I understand it, even though I had these screenplays yeah. that, um, the independent screenplays, uh, but I'm, I have, most of my scripts have a big range of characters. So when I say that, I mean ethnically, culturally, and age-wise. So because of that, I, and for a show like a soap like that, at least One Life to Live, there was a diverse bunch of characters. You have to learn those voices. Um, you have to really be able to absorb the, the respective voices of each character on that show. In addition to that, if you have a character that's been on the show for a long time and then leaves the show and they recast the character, that character will inevitably, the voice will change a little bit. So you have to be able to hear that well. And that's where my directing background comes in because I'm, I'm able to hear the strengths and the, the weaknesses of, of an actor and write to the write to the strengths, if that makes sense. It does. That was my first job. It, well, and you mentioned let's let's we'll, we're going to skip around a little bit. Let's talk about that director background. I mean, how if someone wants to write for television, um, film, indies, 
how, I mean, how important was that director background for you as a writer in understanding those voices and, and what advice would you give to people out there who want to aspire to be a writer? Well, not every, um, my directing completely informs my writing for yes. sure. Um, there's a couple of different ways I'm thinking to respond to your question. One is that uh, just it, it informs um, how I write my dialogue, uh, how I rewrite my dialogue, you know, I, because I know how an actor, I know, I can tell if I've written a line that's just too much of a mouthful uh, and an actor might have a hard time with it or just to make it a more staccato thing or to uh, a chunk of dialogue or to uh, when I can't stand exposition. I even, and that's the thing when I, you write for a soap, there's a lot of exposition. Yeah. And so the trick is how do you then get all the information across without it, without the audience feeling like you are. So to keep it very conversational. And so that an actor can play it in a way that it, it is about intention, their emotional intention, or their, their need to cover or whatever it is that you're doing and not explain things because that's just not interesting dramatically, you know, know, or for comedy. Um, so it definitely helped. It's definitely helped how I understand writing a scene that I go, you know, that's going to cost a fortune to shoot that. <laughs> so maybe not do that. Maybe find mm -hmm. another way. Um, also I have production background. So, cause I started working when I was like 18 uh, as a PA. So then I did that for a while in and out. Um, and that also informs, so anything that you can do that informs uh, your, that fleshes out your knowledge of the process. Because I think it's important not just to know what you're doing, whether it be what you're doing as a writer, what you're doing as an executive, what you're doing as a director, know what other people do too. It just mm -hmm. helps the process. We're in a collaborative environment, right? I mean, I could always say, if you don't want to be edited and you don't want people messing with your work, write novels. Having said that, you're still going to deal with editors and mm -hmm. publishers. It's a business. So I think it's really important in any field, personally, mm -hmm. to know what people do. If you manage a restaurant, under listen to your waiters. Listen to your bus people listen to the maitre d or the host they get paid the least but man if it weren't for those people they you wouldn't be here <laughs> you know so i think it's i i personally think in anything i do i just want to be part of the whole process you know um so then the other part i guess is you, you asked me about how directing has yeah uh I would say that um, not everyone's a director. I mean, I think a lot of people, this sounds very arrogant for me to say, I know, I'm sorry if it does, but um, I think some people, the way that they function, their organizing principle, hopefully their values, um, because you're dealing directly with people in their most potentially vulnerable state um, that you uh, are equipped before you go in. 
or if you are you're equipped in terms of your potential but you're not there yet in terms of your skill set um to find a way to just be honor that you know or just be a leader a leader a good leader is someone who knows uh is comfortable saying you know what i don't really know right now but we'll get there together you know um, that you have that kind of confidence. And I think a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people um, do a lot of damage <laughs> in a directorial position. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. Um, I don't think that if, you, I think if you're a writer and you're trying to get a job uh, as a writer, I, and you do have directing background, you don't mm -hmm. need to necessarily talk about that no. at, a, at a meeting. I don't know that it, if you're going in for like a staff writer position, if you come from a background where you're like, you're now you're already at like co-EP or executive producer, having some kind of directing background, they're, they already know you've been using it. Like your comfort on a set or your comfort with actors or, you know, making an adjustment for an actor who can't deal with this line of dialogue that you wrote or doesn't understand it or, you know, um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that if you're like at a lower level or mid level, people are not excited to hear like, I'm also a director. So I'm going to come in there. Yeah, like, yes. Yes. So, so, so there's a way to handle place. that situation. I do. I yeah. do understand. Um, you know, you talked about how you were given that second chance to rewrite that script for One Life to Live. And when you were talking about that, it brought up in my mind, because I've been hearing a lot about this lately, about the power of spec scripts. And do you think that spec scripts are still something that a writer should have in their portfolio today? Or do you think that the industry has moved beyond that? No, it definitely has not. I mean, not in my experience. Okay. I, I, there's, a, there's been a lot of, um, confusion I don't know if it's debate it comes up a lot it definitely comes yes. up a lot at panel discussions um, yeah, that, that's why I'm asking you yeah so what comes up a lot is is more uh, from in, in my experience has been around whether you should write a, a spec of an existing script mm -hmm. uh, an existing show rather mm -hmm. is that what you're talking about which yes. is an original okay so that right so an original script um, is in my experience from every showrunner executive producer that I know um, or that I have heard talk about this stuff I would say 95% of them have said oh no I totally want to read people's original stuff occasionally someone will say well no it's really good to I like to read specs of a pre-existing shows because it's how it can it shows me whether a writer can adapt to form basically which is what essentially unless you're writing your own creation that is what you're hired to do people in my life who are writers and they I am not dissing them but people get very upset sometimes with the shows that they're gainfully employed on that it's not what they kind of set out to do or it's not their dream job or but I would say that the large majority of jobs you do as a writer are not going to be your so-called dream jobs they're going to be writing for hire and you're hired to adapt 
your voice to the voice of the creator of the show. That's what you're hired to do. And that is perfect. I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, we're being paid to, to make shit up for a living. How amazing <laughs> is that? You know what I mean? Like not everybody you know, can do not, it. <laughs> not everyone could do. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we get if when we're paid to do it. We're it's amazing that we when we're paid to do it that we're paid to do it. So I whatever you know whether it's I'm creating my own theories concepts or I'm hired to do something I'm like all right yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, are you ever I have no idea if I answered your question? I no, think no, I and I, no, no. That was actually a really great sound bite. So I, oh, I think the executive producer is going to love this one. But you okay. made me think of something else too. Now, um, have you ever been brought in to like repolish a script or something? Oh, your face. It's not. So I know there's a better term. I'm probably not using it. But I would love to get your take on that because a lot of times what happens is they bring in writers, experienced writers like yourself to come in and sort of the script isn't working. So they need you to like retool it. I don't know. I know there's a better term, but have you ever been asked to do anything like that? Uh, I have been, I have been hired to do on a small scale, but not rewrite, not script doctoring like a screenplay or, or something like that. Um, I have, a lot of really trusted colleagues, writers in my life, uh, who I'm kind of a go-to for uh, notes, feedback, brainstorming sessions. I get that. I, I have that an integral part of my relationship with other writers, for sure. Um, so I, I. And I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I'm pretty good at looking at a script um, and and having it. But also when I when I give notes, I'm I I when I talk to writers about their work, I mean I do a lot of listening first uh, because I want to know what they need, what they're wh where they're trying to go. I, it's not my script, right? Mm -hmm. If you're hired, that's a different thing. Then you know you're then you're in service of the organization, company, production company, studio, whatever that is, that needs something that they're not getting. And a lot of times I think, and from what I know, um, a lot of times people don't know what they want until they get it. Yes, <laughs> so yes. A lot of people who get hired to rewrite, they rewrite, and then they're like, oh, okay, there's more notes, geez. <laughs> because they because executives often feel like well it's not quite there yet mm -hmm. sometimes I think executives are really spot-on with um, with their notes and I think that's like very um, uh, refreshing for a lot of people oh, of course especially for writers so my question to you is because you've been on this journey for a, a long minute. That's what I'm going to call it, a long minute. And so what do you think has been some of the challenges of working in entertainment? And if you, this challenge has been related to gender at all, um, please talk about it. And if it hasn't, that's okay too. But since we're She Talks Cinema, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Uh, uh, I would say, if I could put the biggest challenge into one word, yeah. I would simply say access. It's huge. 
access, access, access. Now there's different ways in which access is um, either truncated, um, there's, there's, uh, there's hurdles, there's, and there's different reasons for that. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, in my experience and just in the empirical evidence of it, just the numbers, the stats yes. on it, the access, I think, comes in a lot of different ways. You can gain access, obviously, but the more people you know, right? That's important within the industry. Um, but if you look at the numbers and we're, you know, we're holding people accountable now more than we have in the past. And we've been able to through social media platforms. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a danger to sort of like kind of tip into, uh, a lot of shaming around it. Um, but the upside of it is that people should be held accountable and they're, they're so busy in getting involved in gaslighting and like amygdala brain responses that they're not really just owning their stuff mm -hmm. and, and being willing to make changes way back when I was in New York city and working in theater a lot. Um, I was, I was on the board of directors of the theater company, which I will not name. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a rising theater company, um, became very successful. And it was all women, feminists, and uh, they kept talking about diversity. And they kept saying, diversity, diversity, diversity. And I'm sitting on this board, in this board, at this boardroom of 12 women, 11 women and me. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, guys, honestly, if you look around this room at everyone else, we all look like each other, which, and we all have similar backgrounds that we're coming from. So if we don't change how this board, we have no plays that reflect the so-called diversity of which you're talking about. So if that's a true agenda, if it's not, that's fine. If that's not what you want to do, fine. But if it's what you really want to do, then we should have diversity reflected on the board of directors on which we're sitting, like right now. So if that doesn't happen, we are not going to change what plays come out of the canon of this theater company. So. And this is not to make myself a hero in this story. I have a point to the larger point, mm -hmm, yeah. which is I have, I said in this meeting, I said, so what we basically need to do is we need to start willing to be step to step down. So I said, I'll step down. If I know that someone who does not look like me and comes from a different background, I didn't really want to step down because I actually really liked being on the board. You liked it? <laughs> I let, I, yeah, because I mean, it was a big, I mean, it was an important, but I also was so frustrated with this whole systemic issue. And so I just said, I'll sit down if I'm replaced by someone who doesn't come from my background. And they were not cool. They were not happy at all <laughs> that I did that because they felt shitty, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I stepped down and then nothing changed. So I think it might change now because it's a, we're having again holding people get so that was a very long-winded but i need to talk about that because oh, it's, it's so important. important and it's always been important to me and i'm i'm a little frustrated with how long it's taken white folks anyway or men to like get on board with what you know we've been saying all along like hey there's an issue here a big systemic issue or a bunch of issues um 
So I think age is a huge thing in um, a huge thing for women particularly. Um, and it's, it's one of the areas that can really um, mess with an individual's access. Um, and it's, it's it, women hold a lot of fear. I hear women in my life holding a lot of fear over the age of 40, panic about what they look like, what they sound like, does, can people tell? It's very big, it's a problem in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. for sure, um, in the industry. There's that, there's ethnic background, there's, um, there's uh, gender, for sure. Um, and, you know, and there's just, you know, I think there's, it's just been the landscape of, of TV writers' rooms mm -hmm. are, a lot of times people who know each other or people who know people who know those people. And because it's a very social environment, which is one of the lovely things about it, the job, doing the job, but people live in very particularly white and particularly white male, but white people anyway, they, they live in very homogenous social worlds. Um, and so then they go, we wanted, we wanted a woman in the room. What do you mean a woman? Why couldn't we have more than one woman in the room? We wanted a black female for the staff writer. One, why does it have to be one? Two, why does it have to be a staff writer? Why can't you pull from EP level? Like, why can't people like, well, there's not enough black folks that are up to that level. I'm like, I've seen all manner of white men and some white women who end up getting hired to their shows get bought and their show running or co-EPing and they have zero experience. So I don't understand how that argument applies. Um, so I, I just, I just, I think the only way to remedy this mm -hmm. is to keep talking to each other. Yes. Anyone who's marginalized, marginalized people within the industry. I'm, I'm a lesbian and I will tell you four years, was it four years? I have a new agent now, but like four or five years ago, my agent at the time when I, when I went with them, mm -hmm. he's asking me a whole series of, maybe it was six years ago, actually, now that I'm thinking of it, because times changed pretty quickly um, yes. since this, uh, very rapidly. So he said to me, um, a bunch of questions uh, like uh, at the end of the meeting he was gonna go with me and then he said oh hey do you have kids are you are you married what's your what's your situation are you do you have a boyfriend da, da, da. <laughs> and uh, I mean I know I read it straight like it's it's not by design at all uh, but I just know that and so I'm constantly coming out to people and then they're like oh my god I'm talking to a lesbian swirly eyes <laughs> you know, that burns off and then I know they're talking to me again but anyway, um, so he was. That's like, okay. People say I sound like a white girl, so it's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I know you're like they meet you in person and they're like, oh, oh, okay, that's Angela. Okay, you know, it's so it's so wacko the whole code switchy situation. But anyway, um, so so he asked me all these questions and I answered them the way I would normally have done throughout my whole life, which is don't reveal. Right. So just keep it neutral. So he's like, are you married? No. Do you have kids? No, but I have a lot of kids in my life. Uh, you got a boyfriend? No. And then he goes, there was a beat and he goes, oh, are you, are 
you gay? Are you lesbian? And I was like, mm hmm. And he was like, oh, that's good. That's great. And I said, okay, well, I, I feel like I know why you're saying that because the landscape of TV has changed, but I would rather hold on my thought and have you just tell me why. And he did. Um, and he said, I know it's really messed up, but, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't go into this part of the story. <laughs> No, 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 because, 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 can, can you change the names or? I can't say any names because I will, and he didn't, listen, he, all right, basically he said. Yeah, just sum it up. <laughs> You're a writer. Basically, he said uh, that uh, as messed up as it is, the, the trend now, he said, is. Mm. That the sh male showrunners are more comfortable hiring gay women because they feel less threatened by them, and they think that you're just one of the dudes. It's <laughs> like, you know what? You don't have to tell them that that's not the case. Like, I'm not one of the dudes. I'll just let them think that, <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> until it comes up and then they'll know that I'm not just one of the dudes. So they can't make the tit joke with me or they can't make the, you know, like, isn't she hot kind of, or whatever he thought that was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, listen, I had a hire that I got hired because they needed a quote woman in the room. I almost got hired recently because they needed a woman in the room. So I'm still hearing that now uh so if you're a person who's been marginalized or you felt like you know in the case my case obviously it's it's not like i walk into a room and people are like oh you know um so it's easy it was easier to just not mention that i'm yeah. gay cuz i it would i thought it was going to be a problem and it was largely just saying you're a feminist was a problem up until recently yes um so, but then there was a point where you go, you know, you know, if you're marginalized in an in industry that you have your whole heart and soul wants to be in, you're like, whatever gets me hired. You want to tokenize me? That's not what I want. That's not how I want to get in the room, but fine, <laughs> get me in the room and then I'll deal with that problem. Even though that problem is really uncomfortable and horrible problem to have. It sucks to be the only one in that room and especially if and then if you're the that only one you're then representing all the other only one characters yes. right so like <laughs> the one show that i was on i was like writing every character that wasn't like a white man creating them <laughs> so they had one was very interesting. Every everybody else. So it right. didn't matter if you were writing a if you were writing maybe a black woman who is a lesbian. They had you writing her. Yeah, or just the black character. Or just a black character. Okay. I'm a character. I, I wanted to add a lot I'm more to I'm my detail. Very, <laughs> I'm a very character centric uh writer, character specificity writer. Yeah. So it makes sense. I mean, that they would sort of go like, oh, let her do it. these things, development of these characters. It was development room, so it, largely at the beginning. So. Really interesting. Really yeah. interesting. But anyways, 
I love this conversation. Okay, so let's, I want to get back to one of the places where we met. And, and because so much is happening in the Writers Guild of America West right now, and it was happening before, before March, well before March. And so my question to you is, can you share maybe some of the challenges that writers may have? Because I know that there's been issues in the past with how writers are being paid and agencies and, and a lot of it's over my head, but I know that you you've know a lot that's going on there and there will be people watching that want to understand it as well. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sighing not about the question. I'm just sighing because it's, yeah, we, we thought that we had a lot of stuff going on and then the global pandemic <laughs> occurred. I know. I know. So I now know. it's a whole other, oh, it's just, a, it's a lot. So how can I break, how can I, the, the core, the, there's a few things going on, which I'm no expert in, um, you know, WGA captains who thank God for doing what they do. Oh yeah. Uh, would be better, would, are more well-equipped to talk about this stuff. But I will say one of the core issues um, with the action that was taken, which was 90, I think it was a little over 95% of the guild uh, dropped their agents, quote, fired their agents, put their agents on hold, whatever language, but drop their agents. Okay. Uh, because there were systemic problems with how the agencies were handling their clients. And there was a conflict of interest, at least as the guild has laid it out. And, and I agree with it. And I definitely experienced, I think, a fair amount of that if you're a writer in TV in particular, it's, it's hard to get a job. Um, film is not the same landscape that it used to be, right? Yes. Um, so a lot of the independent film, the thing that drew, really attracted me to independent film back in the day is happening in TV now. So it, it, the, the kind of storytelling yes. uh, that used to be happening in independent film mm -hmm. for many years is now happening in TV, which is what makes TV far more appealing. Plus you get to stay with these characters, you know, for a long time, hopefully, right? If the, yes. if the show is successful. Um, so ultimately, in order to get gainfully employed, you need to go in for staffing meetings. So you need to go in for general meetings with, uh, you know, executives, who are sort of heading, you know, heading up shows, okay. um, overseeing shows, so that by the time staffing happens, um, whether it be broadcast network or cable or streaming, uh, the, you know, someone's familiar with you that you've met with, hopefully you can meet the showrunner and get staffed. If you don't have an agent who is prioritizing that, the, it's going to be very hard, uh, an uphill climb. So people. Most writers, unless you have a trust fund, you need to be gainfully employed so that you can leave your personal assistant job or your nanny job or your waiting table job or no one wants to do those jobs. The people that do them for career don't even want to be doing them most of the time. <laughs> you set out to be a writer, so you need to be employed. What was happening and has been happening for quite some time is that the priorities that you have as a writer are not the same priorities that the agents 
at the agencies have, and they sh it shouldn't be that way. Their priorities should be aligned with your priorities. You should want the same thing, but the money that they make or have been making is not just solely on your income. It used to be that they would make 10%. They got you a job, so you're getting paid well. You're Say you're sitting on some you know, very successful TV show. They're making 10% on all of your income, and you, right? And all of their other clients' income that are working, or they're making residual income, you know, et cetera. So I think, right? Don't they make? I think so, but I'm I'm the indie part, so you know this better than I do. But I, I want to edit that part out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and they, it'll be interesting. Maybe someone no, they will let us know. No, a lot of residuals. What am I talking about? Of course. Yeah, I because just everybody isn't that part of the original deal. I would think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I just had a blip. Um. Anyway, so, but but what ha what hap what's now been happening for a long time mm -hmm. is that the agencies have gotten in on the packaging of series, right? So say you have an agency, I don't wanna say, say you have agency ABC. Yes. No, that's a bad one, NTC. Yes. NTC, okay, so NTC agency um, has a writer that has this script that they think could make a great series. They go, oh, we need a director to come on board and attach themselves, or we need a showrunner. So they start to assemble and package people in their agency, within their agency. Ooh. They're also going to make a packaging, they charge a packaging fee by, for doing the work of putting the package together that will then sell the project. But now they've got stakes in the project of when it goes forward. So they get packaging fee, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. They also get, they're in a producerial ro role because they have stakes in that regard. And they, they're collecting 10% on their clients who, that's I, as I understand it. So clearly there's the conflict of interest because, and I've been in that situation where I had something packaged or I was mm -hmm. having something packaged. That was the focus, was always getting a serious concept moving forward. And everyone in the industry knows it's very hard to sell a serious concept. It's very hard. It's hard for J.J. Abrams. Definitely going to be hard if you're not J.J. Abrams, yes. right? So it's, and understandably so, it costs a lot of money mm -hmm. and a lot of resources. You're asking a studio production company to put, millions and millions and millions of dollars behind your series concept. They need it to be successful. It's understandable. Um, but it's uphill road. So if you're not gainfully employed on a show in the meantime, but the agents are not incentivized to get you those meetings because they're putting all of their focus on the people who they're able to make more money on the packaging deal. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So it's 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 putting people, the writers in a very compromised position. Plus, if what if there's what what happens when they start negotiating if the thing moves forward on your behalf? Now they have a stake in it. And mm -hmm. they have other clients who have stakes, right? So oh. if there's a certain budget, right, and they go, yes. well, you know, we allocated such and such for this director. 
now their incentive because the director is the thing that's going to move this thing forward and not you, the writer, they might be incentivized to just say to you, well, you know, we really can't, we're just, we can't get you anymore. But now they're, they're, now they're negotiating one of their clients against another of their clients, which is crazy. I don't know. That's how I understand it. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. And, and so basically, you know, all of the captains at the, the writer's guild, they, they're trying to make sure that there's equity across the board is what I'm understanding. Uh, you mean within the, within the, within the what? Within the guild. So the, the writers that, this is why the writer's guild, and I say more of our board of the directors, they're working to make sure that there's equity across the board for all the writers or are they trying to get rid of the whole that packaging concept all in itself oh they're trying to trying to get rid of packaging <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 because and also great... you might we want you might want to uh just make sure you fact check me on all these things yes. i don't want anything yeah. going out there well that's not, that's it, yeah and we'll definitely um there's so much do, do a little fact check on yeah and my characterization and another thing too is i know that there's been stories written out there too and so we'll make sure to put links to those stories um that's been in the newspaper that the guild is not deadline don't huh? use deadline oh yeah they're definitely on the side of the agency okay okay Between us, okay. off the record i'm just okay. saying the guild is not going to be happy if you use deadline articles. Oh. I would use other ones. I think I saw one in Variety. Go with the, yeah, go with, just go with like Hollywood Reporter or Variety or something okay. like that. Don't use deadline. That's my little tip. You'll get blowback. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I know I'm at the first level of the guild and I don't want to lose that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll make will. sure that whatever articles would be Variety and um, Hollywood Reporter. Because I think what I saw was in Variety. And in Variety, they actually had quoted some members from the Guild. But I mean, I knew that this was happening before and now they're doing this now. So this is, this is really good information. Okay, so um, we're, getting, we're getting towards the end, but I have some more questions for you. Okay, sure. There are going to be young um, writers out there, especially women who want to enter this field now. And based on your experience and, and how you landed your first you know, full-time writing gig, what advice would you give to them? Um, make friends, make lots of friends and keep it, keep it flowing and, and don't, um, they don't have to be your best friends. Not a, you know, there's no best friends after high school. I mean, that's just a reality. There's close friends. There's ebbs and flows of friends. There's, I see it as like there's really intimate, like family friends. Then there's peripheral friends. Then there's business. When I got to LA, which was only about like eight years ago, um, I made a list before I moved of. Every single person I've ever known in Los Angeles, I made a list of like super close friends, which I already knew them. I didn't have to make a list, but I wanted yeah, to speak. Um, acquaintances, people I worked in, 
within theater, business, you know, what anyone. Um, and it was like 45 people. And I made sure between the time before I left New York and after, right after arriving in LA, I contacted every single one of those people, except for like maybe a couple that I was like, you know what, let's not revisit that. <laughs> but everyone else, everyone else, I was like, yeah, let's, and I got together with every single person. I had a drink with them. I had a coffee with them. I had dinner with them. Um, and then I just have, you know, you just don't know who, uh, what kind of connection is going to pave the road to something uh, that's personally uh, rewarding, career rewarding. You just, you just don't know. And I think that, uh, having said that, I, when I say, do you want to have a drink or I'd love to hang out, I, I do not say it unless I mean it. And when I mean it, I follow up on it. And that's another important thing. Don't say it and then don't follow up. Just be good for when you say you want to hang out. You just have no idea. That person could be running a show in two years. or they could just be a really good time on a Friday night. Like, <laughs> just, just it's, my point is just expand your world and expand your world with the people that you're like, shmeh, I'm hanging out with, like on a, like on, yeah. on the regular and make sure that you also have, make a lot of time and room for people who get what your experience is, that you mm. can have shorthand with them. Yeah. I mean, you, Angela, you and I can have shorthand about stuff that, that a lot of other people don't want to talk about. No. Right? And I think that's very important so that you don't feel isolated. And also, if you're on similar career trajectories, again, you could get there first and hire that person or they could get there first and hire you. You just have no idea. So I'd say expand your world. The other thing that I would say is what my dodge around my, my being gay uh, doesn't, I don't do that anymore because I don't have to do that in any way. I've never been closeted, just for the record. I just want to make that clear. It's very so, so that the comments bad. don't come flying in? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure. Of it. I am 100% completely not closeted. I'm totally out. <laughs> but, but just, you, I haven't always, and any gay person understands how this works. I just haven't led with the gay in, in every situation because sometimes it hurts you. Now, if you, if you're not white, you walk in the room and yeah. you just, you, there's no hiding anything. Right? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> right. But, but having said that, there's so many of my friends that you would just, you would, you would just like go like, well, how can I just slip in with my ethnicity not being an issue? Mm. You just want it not to be an issue. And now we're at a different time. Now. Yes we're saying we're leading with these things that yeah. don't just separate us in terms of like our family history or like, you know, my dad went to prison for four years or whatever it is that you, you bring to the table, you know, that like I had, you know, leukemia when I was, you know, I don't know what the hell, anything like that. Now you're going, I'm a black female who was born and raised here. I'm a, I'm LGBTQ or I'm lesbian or I'm trans or I'm, these are things that we're 
we're staying, we're able to lead with now and say, this is what yeah. we're also bringing to the table. Hopefully people are going to get hired for things that are not just about that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. maybe also a hurdle now um, that you're not, I mean, I know for myself, I don't want to get hired just because I'm a lesbian or just because I'm a woman. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, it's evolving and changing. But I would say you, you lead with those things that really are part of their core to who, who you are and how you see the world and how you see characters' experiences. I love it. I love it. So what's next for Sharon? And I know sometimes a lot of times when there's projects, you can't really say a lot of things that's going on, but I would hate to end this show without letting the audience know what's next for you. Oh, can I also just say, can I add one more thing to that last yes, thing I said? Yes, it's all about you. <laughs> okay, yes. I just want to, I, I want to add this thing because I think it's really, I think it's really, really important. Oh, good. Um, I think what, what the, I think what is happening right now in TV, what I'm seeing is that a lot of shows are trying to make the adjustments for the call the, to dealing with the call of uh, uh, to, for diversity, right? Yes. Of trying to di diversify their rooms. I mean, we're using the word diverse as a noun. That's just not right. You can't stand that. But diversifying, which is the right, you know what I'm yeah. saying? When people go like, yeah. we, need, we need a diverse hire. I'm like, what does that mean? Mean. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not a thing, you know? No. Um, be specific. What exactly, you know? What so are you anyway, looking for? Diverse, right. Diversifying the room. Um, and a lot of times what's happening is people are looking at the show, their shows when their shows have a diversity of characters, right? Which is a, which I think is a trap is a problem because okay. if moving forward, if I'm running a show, it does not matter how many white characters are on that show, how many of whatever characters that show, that room will be a diverse room. So if you are a black writer, for example, or a South Asian writer, th that showrunner needs to know that you come to the table with list a whole lifetime of listening to white people <laughs> talk about stuff, process stuff, their issues with stuff, watching, you grew up on shows that were all about white mm -hmm. people. You are well equipped to be in the rooms that are like casual, the show casual, or writing for, it would have been a there's any number of shows you know what i'm yes, saying that have yes. all white cast or, or all whatever cast um i wrote on a show that had entirely almost entirely all men you know i'm a female i love writing male characters it's very freeing i love it i can do stuff i can do all sorts of stuff that i don't have to i like i don't have to worry about certain things that i do with my female characters mm -hmm. so my point is being i just don't i want to say that that's an important if there's a way it. to just speak to that um mm -hmm. as well well and, and i think what you're saying is really important it's 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 letting those if you want to what you were talking about diversifying the room and i like that if that's what your aim is then that's what it should be it doesn't matter what those characters are it's the room definitely i mean needs you need that 
diverse there. I mean, now I'm, I'm going to try to use your term, but I think that's really important because inclusion is another. I mean, the people, the, the language is changing inclusion. all the time around yeah, it. I know, I know. I the include. Yeah, we're inclusive, but but the thing is, I think when I everything that you've said today in this podcast is the theme around and the word that I've heard a lot about is listening. And so, yeah. and so the listening is what makes you a strong writer. So that the writer, you're bringing someone in there and, and all your characters are white, but that that person has spent their entire life listening to a, a certain, you know, demographic, that that does not mean that they're not equipped to write for that character. So I think the and I would argue, and I would say a lot of times the people that you, that you think reflect the demographic of the characters that you have yeah. are not actually listening as acutely, as, a, as, mm. as mindfully as the people are not that person. Does that make yes. sense? It does. I mean, does. I hear my experience from straight friends who like are in relationship, straight female friends who are in relationships with men in a very mindful way because um i'm absorbing as much as i can and then when i've had my experiences with men in the past i i see it through that prism too and it makes me show up with a lot of um reflective material yeah makes sense even though that's not my i'm not a straight woman yeah and it, it makes completely sense. makes sense because you're you have been honing those skills by just by listening to whatever we're all bringing to the table when we're talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also, yeah, if you're, if you're writing just from your own experience, I mean, people argue about that. Well, what does that mean though? There's all different ways to come at that. So yes. if your experience is growing up in an environment where you're one, you're one, yes. <laughs> or you're a, one of a handful of people that don't look like all the other people, you probably have an experience of like, what's this guy's, what's this guy talking about over here? Or what's this about? Or, or what do I need to acclimate to? How do I have to be in order to fit in? You know, that's, that's another, yeah. that's another bringing your experience, writing about your experience to the table. I love it. I love it. So in your own mind, what do you feel that's next for Sharon? Well, what's next for Sharon? <laughs> um, what is next for me? I don't know. It's, it's very, I, I had a hire before the pandemic. <laughs> and so that, <laughs> I don't really know. I, I think that um, I, like everyone else, um, have, not like everyone else, I have friends who are very gainfully employed. They're doing, like they're still working during this whole mm -hmm. thing. So it's some, you know, the, People, the experiences people are having are really running the gamut, but yes. I know a lot of people are having um, moments of, of, of hopefulness and feeling uh, like the track that they were on that wasn't working for them has been um, uh, on pause, and that's a relief for a lot of people. Some people oh. are having um, existential crisis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of them. <laughs> or angst. <laughs> and I'm the, I definitely have had my ups and downs with that for sure. Yeah. 
What's next? I don't really know. It's definitely a question mark. I mean, I do have an agent who I adore. She's like amazing. She's amazing. Oh, really, wow. really love okay, her. That, that's her. a positive. That's a very big positive, actually. Yes. And we're, we're very, it seems like we're very much in lockstep with um, strategy um, and Good. what we want for me. Um, and I just think she's an awesome human being. Um, so that's really great. Um, um, so, so for me, it's really, I really want to sit in a room with human beings. I really want to be on a staff again. That was my aim before that was the whole thing. And, um, so that's been my, my main focus. I definitely, um, want to shoot. Uh, I want to, I've been developing something to shoot. Um, and I was developing it to shoot as a short form, kind of mm -hmm. like it would be the film version of like microfiction. Um, so uh, I, I've been working on that, an anthology series to shoot for myself. Um, and I had it, but now that the pandemic has happened, no. I don't know how it's going to, might have to make a little bit of an adjustment on how I either, either in the writing or in the shooting, probably more in the shooting. I don't, I don't really know yet. Um, before I leave this planet, I really want to shoot a feature. I know mm -hmm. that. Um, and I have, I have a series concept, two series concepts, which I've, I've pitched and, uh, recently one is a period piece. So I think I'm probably just going to sit, I'm, I've been hunkering down writing the outline. So oh. I'm just going to write it. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I mean, now is the time to do it. So I'm just going to write it. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you today. And, and I learned, I mean, I learned so much even more about you today. And so I do appreciate my time with you and you taking the time to talk with us. I, Angela, I didn't ask you any questions. <laughs> but you're not supposed to. I'm the host. <laughs> but well, we'll, hey, we'll have to revisit. Well, in, if we ever do a podcast on me, I will pitch you to interview me. Yes. Can we do that? I'm yes. gonna. I want yes. dibs on that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll. I mean, since we're recording right now, we might as well put it out there for the executive producer that you definitely want to interview me, and I would be honored. I so, will yeah. absolutely yes. be happy to do that. Yes. But no, and if we is, can't do it on camera, we'll do it off camera. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I can, we can always do another Zoom if we need to. But no, no, this was all about you, Sharon, because, I mean, from the moment I met you, and, I mean, I was so new to the Writers Guild, you were just incredible, and I've always thought, there's more to Sharon. I want to know more about her. And so I'm so glad that you did this for us today. Aw, thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> and we'll make sure to get all those other links up so we can have our backup information that things we talked about today. But okay. everybody, thank you so much for joining us for our podcast and learn more about us at SheTalkCinema.com. So I'll say she that again. Yeah.com. <laughs> I was like, how do I say that again? And the Hollywood Women's Film Institute.org. So there's two websites for you to learn more about us. 
And don't forget to like us all over social media, like this page on YouTube, like us on iTunes, like us on the Facebook page, like us on Instagram. And if you go to Instagram right now, you're going to see this really great graphic of Sharon there right now. So um, definitely like all those pages. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I have, yeah, I gotta... yeah so, so then you can see it before Sharon, then you can tell Sharon that you really like it. But My thank you so much everybody for tuning in and follow Sharon because once everything's out there, you know you're going to see her name and say, oh my goodness, I remember that podcast with her. So take care, everyone. <laughs> Talk to Bye. you. Bye. Bye.